I just don't think being a person of inaction is an option, mm. and particularly not at this moment in time. I've had a lot of people say to me since the election, like, don't you just want to crawl into bed and like pull the covers over your head? I'm like, what good does that do anyone, right? That doesn't do like my children any good or the world that I want to live in like tomorrow, much less kind of for them to live in for you know, many tomorrows. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm Nick LaPara. I'm so incredibly excited that you're here with me today. I'm in Memphis this week for the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s death. I'll actually be at the Lorraine Hotel at 6.01 p.m. on Wednesday, April 4th, which was the moment 50 years earlier in which he was murdered. A pretty historic moment for sure. I've been deeply impacted by Martin Luther King Jr., as so many of you, all of you have, and I can't wait to honor his life in this way. I'm sure that I'll be sharing more with you in the next few podcast episodes about this upcoming experience. My guest today needs no introduction whatsoever. She has literally been in the spotlight since she was a kid. She's been through so much in her life. I've admired her for quite some time for many reasons, but one of the main reasons is that she has not only survived, but thrived in so many ways. And you'll hear more about that in our conversation. I sat down with Chelsea Clinton last week in a conference room at Glenview Elementary School in Nashville, Tennessee. We had a short but impactful conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Chelsea Clinton. I typically begin these podcast conversations asking people to tell them about their story, who they are, where they've come from. That will not be necessary today, though. So welcome to the podcast, Thank Chelsea you. Clinton. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Let's dive right in. We have a, few, a, a little bit of time, and I want to get to as much as we can. So let's begin, because I want to get this in, talk about, talk about the books. You're on a book tour right now. Uh, she Persisted Around the World, 13 Women Who Changed History. That just came out right? To support another book that you've written called She Persisted, 13 American Women Who Changed the World, correct? Yes. Tell me about those books. What prompted them? How did they come to fruition? Tell me about them. So last uh, January, um, when uh, President Trump nominated uh, Jeff Sessions to be his attorney general, um, kind of uh, in that process, uh, in kind of the various ways in which um, people who opposed that process were kind of standing up not only to his nomination, but kind of to, I think, already the very clear kind of retrograde tendencies of the administration, yeah. even in its earliest days. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts um, attempted to read a letter that Coretta Scott King had written in 1986 opposing Jeff Sessions' nomination uh, to the federal bench. Um, and I think it's always the right time to listen to whatever Coretta Scott King would have to say. Yes. Um, she was an important civil rights leader in her own right. She wasn't just the wife of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And yet, kind of through repeated attempts, um, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell um, told Elizabeth Warren um, it was inappropriate, it was unnecessary, uh, and yet she kept attempting to read the letter, and uh, he was so... Frustrated, finally, he formally censured her and you know, said, ugh, like, you know, he kept telling her no, and nevertheless, she persisted. And I don't think um, Mitch McConnell had any idea kind of how he would um, kind of inadvertently and yet so powerfully give a rallying cry mm -hmm. to, I think, many 
women who have long felt that women kind of particularly had to persist, um, but to so many of us who didn't agree with kind of what was already happening um, in the Trump administration. Uh, I am a mom of, of two kids. Um, my daughter Charlotte is uh, three and a half today, actually. She's very excited about turning three and a half today. Happy birthday to her. Oh, thank you. Happy half birthday. I told her, though, she did not get half a cake, uh, <laughs> even though she was so cute this morning asking for it before I left. Um, and my son Aiden is uh, 21 months. So they were even younger, clearly a year ago. Um, we read lots of picture books. I talk to them th about the world, often kind of through the stories that were reading. Um, when we're reading about kind of bullies, I say, you know, they're also kind of adult bullies and we have to keep standing mm. up to adult bullies. So I was thinking like, how do I try to explain this moment and kind of the need to really persist against injustice and that kind of that need is always present, um, but particularly ac acutely kind of so now. And so I started thinking about women whose persistence had really mm. inspired me. And then I started thinking in kind of picture book form. And my wonderful editor, Jill Santopolo, had also been kind of thinking, you know, would there be a picture book in this moment? And so we decided um, to work on one together with the extraordinary, talented Alexander Boynier, the illustrator. Um, and so the first book very much was kind of, you know, my response to, to kind of that moment and kind of this larger moment. And then uh, I've been so humbled by kind of the resonance that she persisted had. And I thought, well, clearly um, there is a desire for even more stories of women whose persistence has kind of made a positive impact kind of in history and around the world. So then I wrote She Persisted Around the World to kind of share, celebrate, amplify kind of just even more women whose persistence uh, I think is important to know, but also kind of hopefully kind of catalyzes our commitment to persistence in this moment. Absolutely. As a father of two girls and one little boy, thank you very much for doing that. Is there any story in the, th this new book or both the books that sticks out to you, one that you want to share with the audience? You know, I, what was really important to me um, kind of was more the collection of stories, um, the kind of unifying theme of persistence that these weren't just kind of women who mm. had been granted kind of extraordinary kind of gifts and talents, but whose persistence kind of had to marry to those gifts and talents to be able to kind of make the contributions they felt called to make. Um, and it was important to me in both books to have um, women who kind of worked and achieved in different fields, kind of activism, the arts, kind of sports, journalism, kind of law, kind of the environment. Um, and so for me, it was really the the totality of the stories um, that I hope kind of is most powerful. I do, though, love hearing from readers, particularly young readers, mm. like your children, kind of what their favorite stories are. Um, and I've been so struck by how many um, particularly little girls, although a couple little boys told me um, they were so happy to not know Virginia Apgar's story. Mm. And Virginia Apgar's story was actually the story that I learned most recently. So in She Persisted, the 13 women, I remember when I kind of first encountered these women. I remember you know, learning about Claudette Colvin in seventh grade, and I remember learning about Nellie Bly in college. And I remember kind of my mom talking to me about Helen Keller and Harriet Tubman, um, but I didn't learn about Virginia Apgar's story mm -hmm. until I was pregnant. And um, my wonderful doctor said, you know, the first thing that will happen after your baby is born is we'll perform something called the Apgar test. And I just was so surprised I had never heard of that. And so I um, became really interested in Virginia Apgar's story um, and just kind of am in awe that sort of something that she um, kind of created, you know, more than 50 years ago is still the 
kind of gold standard for assessing newborn babies' health everywhere on the world. Like your three kids would have had it when they were born. You know, there are truly like billions of people alive who kind of their first kind of medical test was the APGAR test. And I've been so struck by how many children mm. like are happy that they now know that part of their own story and kind of are so inspired by her story. Um, so that's just been, I think, particularly um, kind of fun for me to hear what readers really kind of are drawn to uh, and kind of how many have really been drawn to Virginia Apgar's story. I love that. I recently returned from Honduras from a trip with my friends at World Vision, uh, seeing successful water projects and communities that still need water. You and your father a few years ago went to Myanmar and Rwanda, correct? Uh, to see the same similar water projects. Do you remember anything from that trip that stood out to you? How is that trip had an impact on your life on a long-term basis? I mean, I've been so um, grateful for the opportunities to work with World Vision, um, kind of specifically uh, to work with um, Pro Procter & Gamble through their partnership um, kind of with World Vision, other NGOs. Um, they've now distributed kind of packets that enable um, kind of literally billions and billions of, of clean water. Um, you know, water uh, shouldn't kind of be a privilege. It really mm. should be a right. And yet we have um, so many children who still die every year because of dehydration due to diarrhea. Um, hundreds of thousands of children uh, who perish uh, because they don't have uh, a guaranteed right to kind of reliable, clean, safe drinking water. Uh, and this just seems to be kind of so uncomplicated to me, particularly because we know how to uh, guarantee both that if um, children get sick, they shouldn't die, but also kind of to guarantee that children should never get sick because we know how to clean water. So um, I remember um, kind of the trips to Myanmar, um, to Rwanda, kind of the other places that I've been lucky enough to visit where there are kind of various kind of clean water efforts underway, either to kind of build safe, reliable wells or um, to ensure that everyone has access to the packets that enable the water to be cleaned of, of bacteria and parasites and kind of other um, kind of dangerous things that um, often kind of invisibly lurk in water. And you, I think what strikes me so much now thinking about this as a parent is not only the kind of joy and wonder on kids' faces when they taste like clean water, mm. um, but the joy and the relief on their parents' faces. Yeah when they see their children drinking that water um, really kind of powerfully kind of stays with me in, in my heart. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. You're obviously a very busy woman. You're on, you're the vice chair of the Clinton Foundation. You're part of the Clinton Health Access Initiative. You're a wife, you're a mother, you're all of these things. You clearly give lots and lots of dams. What is the favorite, what is your favorite part of the work that you get to do? What brings you the most joy and fulfillment of all the things? Seeing problems solved. Mm. I mean, like seeing, um, seeing, and and supporting uh, people who are solving problems, you know, that they uh, directly encountered, either as kind of witnessing an injustice or an injustice that they suffered under. I mean, I think about my friend Sixto Canal, who um, founded something called uh, Think of Us. He grew up in the um, foster care system. Uh, he kind of made his way to college. Particularly when he was in college, he realized how unique it was that someone from the foster care system um, kind of made it into college, much less than later graduated. And I met him through something called uh, CGI University, uh, which he attended all four years. And we are really thankful to have been able to work with him 
to help him kind of translate his idea of how to um, kind of empower young people before they aged out of the foster care system with a real plan of their lives thereafter. So the plan not only kind of from an educational standpoint, you know, whether it was the right choice to go to college and how best to do that, but also understanding kind of how to access the various social services that um, they may have need of and that they absolutely had a right to. And so he um, kind of founded this organization that now kind of is this tech disruptor in the foster care space, kind of building a mobile and app platforms to do just that. He kind of led um, in President Obama's last year, kind of the first White House um, hackathon around foster care apps. Um, although he's not receiving the same support under this administration, um, he's working kind of in diverse areas from kind of counties in California to counties in Nebraska to Virginia um, with kind of local and state government partners who very much uh, believe that kind of more young people should have the chance to thrive as, as Sixto did, um, and that the system has a real responsibility to help them do that. So that's really where I derive such um, joy of just kind of having the privilege of, of supporting him, championing him, kind of cheering him on now. Your father was president of the United States and your mother was a front runner to become president of the United States, and you've been in the public eye for all of your life. How, and I asked this question, I'll, I'll ask the question first. On top of that, there's so much good and bad to be consumed on social media and in the interwebs. How do you stay emotionally healthy on social media? What are your practices and habits? And I have a reason why I'm asking this, but I want to hear your answer first. How do you figure out what to consume and when to stop and, and then still become a person of action in the midst of all that? Uh, well, I'll start with the last question first. Um, I just don't think being a person of inaction is an option, mm. and particularly not at this moment in time. Um, I've had a lot of people say to me um, since the election, like, don't you just want to crawl into bed and like pull the covers over your head? I'm like, what good does that do anyone, right? That doesn't do like my children any good or the world that I want to live in like tomorrow, much less kind of for them to live in for you know many tomorrows. Um, you know, on on social media, um, I I consume um, really only social media kind of through Twitter and once in a while Facebook. So I'm not on other social media platforms. Um, and I think that that probably somewhat helps me um, remain healthy because there is kind of a, a, a limit to my kind of social media consumption if it's narrowed kind of to those platforms. And I also uh, really do um, believe that kind of when – trolls, whether kind of bots or, or real people trolling or saying, um, you know, heinous things about me or anyone else, that that reflects so much more on them than on mm, me. Yes. Um, and I really do believe in the golden rule, and that may not be particularly fashionable right now, but I really believe in kind of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so um, I very much kind of always... Uh, at least try and, and believe I do come from a place of, of kindness and respect, even if that is not being kind of either served to me or returned to me. Um, I, I do, though, think it's important um, to you know, not kind of dwell in the trolling for very long, but also to not ignore it. I think it is important to shine a light um, on it, um, particularly uh, when it is so kind of offensive to a sense of kind of common decency. I mean, I've been just horrified by uh, the attacks on the 
courageous uh, Parkland students. Uh, I think kind of what has been uh, kind of shelled out to Emma Gonzalez in particular mm. is just unconscionable. Uh, and so I do think it's important to kind of shine a light particularly on the darkness that is trying to kind of um, snuff out her light to say, you know, no, like we're not going to let that happen. And we're going to not only kind of protect and kind of push back on, uh, but just continue to to elevate uh, and kind of show solidarity. I ask that because I and so many others, I love the way that you uh, gracefully handle trolls and people that are spewing just ridiculous things. Um, you're so kind in, in sort of a way that says, I'm here to stay so you can keep spewing your bullshit, but like, I'm not going anywhere. Like you, you have things to say and you point to so many great things. And so I love that and we need more of that. Well, so keep. Thank you. I mean, I will say, I think that um, sometimes people mistake kindness for weakness. It's not no. weakness. Um, being kind is still very much a way of affirmatively engaging in the world. I just have no interest in um, trafficking in in vitriol. It's not how I think. It's not how I feel. Um, and it's also kind of not what I ever want to role model for my children. Um, and so, you know, thank you for saying that. It's it's not. Um, I, it's not something that I have to try to do. It's just, thankfully, kind of what I believe is the right thing to do. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Do you have one, if you were to narrow it down, we don't have a ton of time. Do you have one piece of advice? The people listening to this podcast, they are either people that are already giving a damn in this way or that way. And then there are a lot of people that haven't quite leapt into that. They haven't figured it out yet. They're still kind of just passively living, figuring it out. If you had one piece of advice to kind of wake them out of their slumber and say, it's time, like there are things to do. What would that advice be? Well, goodness, I think if you're still slumbering, maybe you need to just pay more attention. Um, and I don't I don't mean that to sound harsh, um, but I think everything that anyone cares about is under assault right now. I mean, whether um, we care about um, a woman's right to choose or LGBTQ rights or gun violence prevention or kind of quality public health programming or public education, you know, like national security, the environment, um, clean water. I mean, you know, we're now more than three years into like Flint not having clean water. Um, almost, I, I think whatever it is you care about, like it's under attack right now, um, either through... Um, purposeful cruelty, kind of purposeful incompetence or purposeful ignorance. Um, and so I would just say kind of the next step hopefully is then to try to do something about it. And I think every action really matters. So you know, I took um, my daughter to the March for Our Lives on Saturday in New York. And maybe you couldn't go to the one here in Nashville, but you can still talk to your mayor, your city council, your state legislatures, your governor, your congressperson, your senators, right? I mean, there kind of is always something to do on whatever issue you care about. And I would just say, you know, make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure everyone you know is registered to vote. And make sure you vote in every single election. I have two little girls. They're five and six, and I'm raising them 
to do great things. I want whatever that means for them. I want them to do great things. In light of the books that you have written, what is your message for little girls and little boys out there growing up in today's very divided political and societal climate? What is your advice to them as they develop who they are and what they plan to do? Well, I would say they're really lucky um, to have a dad who recognizes that part of um, raising children is helping to equip them to navigate like those dynamics that you talked about. Uh, and I would wish that uh, for every child, uh, and we were sitting here in this, uh, we're sitting here in Glenview Elementary School and mm. clearly having had the chance to meet the principal and meet some of the teachers, the librarians, um, I would wish that every child would get to go to a school like this, right, where there is a, um, a nurturing, uh, supportive um, environment to help kind of kids flourish. You know, I, I think a few things are really critical. I think um, one, uh, helping and expecting kids to always be curious, right? Curious about um, the world around them, whether that is kind of their neighborhood, their city, kind of our country, like the larger world, um, kind of teaching kids resilience, right? That um, kind of persistence is is necessary. Um, kind of teaching kids that not only um, is it okay to have an opinion, that we expect you to have an opinion, um, but that you have to be able to back that opinion up kind of with real facts, right? I think it is important that we still like focus on, yes. on facts and helping kids think critically about kind of the sea of information um, some of which is fact-based and some of which is very much not fact-based that they will grow up within so that they're able to recognize what is a fact, what isn't a fact, kind of what can be kind of mustered for an argument and, and what can't be. Um, to have the humility to always ask for help, right? Mm. Like none of us can do kind of anything important alone, I think. Um, and to recognize that even if they're five and six, they're already citizens, right? And um, their voices deserve to be heard. And if they're in the practice of kind of using their voices now, hopefully they're going to be in the practice of using their voices kind of for the rest of their lives. My last question is partially hypothetical and partially not. The not hypothetical part is that someday you are going to die. Hopefully it's many, many years from now, but that's the natural part of life. The hypothetical part is that I have been chosen to give your eulogy. So all the people you've helped over the years, your family, your friends, so many people are there to honor and celebrate and mourn your life. What would you hope that I would say about your life and legacy on that day. She was the best mom that Charlotte and Aiden could have asked for. There you go. There you go. This has been wonderful. I could do it for hours. We'll quit here. Thank you so much for joining Thank me. Thank you so much for having me. Friends, thanks so much for listening in on my conversation with the delightful and inspiring Chelsea Clinton. So many nuggets of wisdom throughout our chat. I hope something or some things stuck out to you. Quick note before I let you go, I have migrated all of our podcast episodes and show notes and everything else onto my website recently. So check out letsgiveadam.com for all the episodes. More specifically for this podcast episode, check out chelsea.letsgiveadam.com for show notes, for links, and everything else to buy her books to listen to this podcast episode. Please use the links provided in the show notes if you plan to buy her books. Those are Amazon affiliate links, and that'll help support this podcast in a small way. I hope you do buy her books. They're amazing. 
Friends, thanks so much for joining me today for this conversation. So many great things to come. I hope you'll join me next Tuesday for an inspiring conversation with yet another damn giver. I love you all. Bye for now.